1: It's Fox Top 5, the podcast where the hosts always agree to disagree. This week on Fox Top 5, Laura Engel
2: was riding on a tractor in the middle of a muddy farm trying to get to these to watch these ranchers and
1: Greg Jenkins. Jenkins. Now, I was doing live shots floating on a raft between the river, uh, River between Mexico and Guatemala come together to share their top five stories they've covered. Here are this week's hosts, Laura. And Griff.
2: Welcome to Fox Top 5. I'm Laura Engel, Fox News senior correspondent, and today I'm joined by my colleague and friend, Fox News national correspondent Griff Jenkins. Where do we find you, Griff? Hello.
1: Hey, Laura, I am coming to you from freezing Kenosha, Wisconsin. But we're on watch as I join you for this awesome podcast.
2: (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Uh, You know, every week on this podcast, Fox hosts, reporters, personalities, we all get together and we share a top five of any given topic. I recently did one about um, movie soundtracks. I know that you've done a couple before. No matter how big or small these stories are, they are all important. So breaking it down to a list of just five, I got to tell you, it's a little hard. I've been in my office trying to figure out going back through my <laughs> rolodex of, of stories that I've done through the years. So it's definitely tricky. Um, I think we're both up for the challenge. So Griff, I mean, how did you compile your list? Because I, I I've got to be honest, I struggled with this.
1: I absolutely, I struggled. Like, uh, you know, it took me at least thirty minutes to even get to ten, let alone five. <laughs> Uh, And I had the, the fortunate opportunity to work for many years for Greta Van Susteren, who literally flung me from the royal wedding, not the most recent one. This is the one with William and Kate, all the way to South Sudan and Burma and Vietnam. And so there were so many. It was really, really tough. But, you know, I think I kind of looked at what are the stories now with a uh, 20-year-old daughter and a, and a 16-year-old daughter, one of these days I might end up being a grandfather. What what stories am I going to tell my grandkids about oh,
2: that really impacted
1: our lives? And, and uh, that kind of narrowed it. Uh, Down with that How how did you figure Your list out
2: You know I started thinking About just Fox News And I've been here In total 19 years I've I've been here 16 years As a full time staff Member And then I was A contributor And I'll I'll get to I have a Greta story too uh, Which is how I came here Um, But you know I went back to Kind of where it all Began for me In news radio In my hometown Of Sacramento And I, I thought back I actually reached out To my news mentor Who was my editor uh, where I worked at KFBK in Sacramento, and I was just, we always kick around what, whatever we're working on, and uh, Judy Farrah, and I called her and I said, I texted her, and I said, you know, I'm doing this thing, what do you think? She goes, well, be sure to include something that's personal. You know, there's these really big crime stories that you've done through the years, but something that was super personal, like try and add one of those in, and I thought that was really good advice, and I took it, as I always do. <laughs> so... Let's do it. How do we start? All just right. So we're going to st- and work our way down. That's right. That's uh, that's the uh, instruction and the assignment grip. So uh, let's start with your number five. What do you got? Number five. Well, I've started with
1: my number five uh, in, in my my stories kind of uh, are categorized, if you will. I'm just starting with with the riots we've seen in recent years because I'm coming to you from Kenosha as obviously the riots here in Kenosha last summer. Uh, were a part of the the slew of of unrest in cities we saw across the country. And I look back on, really, my coverage of uh, Ferguson, the riots Mm. in Ferguson and the riots in Baltimore. And I think that, you know because we have teams, not just me, but so many other great reporters like yourself that are willing to go out in these, they've they've really become something from, you know, protests we remember back in the day where there was some isolated altercations to real danger and real unrest and a real anti-law enforcement attitude that has made things so dangerous. And of course, now we have shootings uh, in in the middle of these riots and which is why we're here in kenosha in this trial and i look back at you know some of the coverage and being able to get this story without being the story in the middle of particularly ferguson went on for so long in baltimore that got so violent uh that really is my my top five and i'll start it there
2: You know, that's incredible. And and as you were talking about it, I can see you. I can, uh, theater of the mind. It's so, radio is so great for that reason, because I can remember all of what you just described and tuning in. Um, as your colleague and friend and just looking at you and going, oh, my gosh, you know, I first I hope he's OK and he's doing such an amazing job. How do you stay calm? Because I've done I, I I did get involved with George Floyd protests here in New York City. And I'm just curious before we move on uh, to my number five. You know, what is your rule of thumb? Because, you know, we do go out with security, but I was threatened uh, repeatedly while covering um, the George Floyd riots and I was I would have people chasing me and saying horrible things wanting to do real physical harm and they aren't joking and you know you're looking at that face to face while you have a camera in your face and while you are trying to calmly tell the story of what's happening what is your trick
1: yeah it's such a great point and you know look as as you've seen on tv I've been pushed and punched and uh god we've had bricks hit us but i think you know the golden rule of thumb is always everybody comes out unhurt your team your producer your cameraman and you've got the security and so you really just have to focus on uh when the threat is too great you have to back out you have to get away you want to get the viewers as close to be the eyes and ears for the viewers to see it but to get uh uh away when it is too dangerous and that's just one of those things that uh the sixth sense really helps you know really as you mentioned when they're really pointed direct threats and you you can kind of sense that that things can can quickly turn you just want to get yourself in a position so that you're not stuck uh and anybody's
2: getting hurt that's right and and a great point and also you know when you mentioned the team and getting the team in and out safely. And that has been such an important part of what we all do. You especially, uh, you've been in the thick of it way more than most of us um, and and having your security team and it's almost you, you form a tight circle at times and you're protecting the cameraman too and the audio guy and, and just everybody who's involved um, and working together cohesively as a unit. Um, I've seen that with your teams and with the teams I've worked with and uh, hats off to everybody who helps keep it safe for us and, and our management has always been great about making sure that we are all protected and safe and and we do the best we can. So uh, hats off to you and a tip of the hat to everybody who does that work, Um, not just with us, but with other networks as well. Well, thank you. Thank
1: you. And our management does get a kudos for always making sure we're okay. But that's my five. Okay. What's your five?
2: So I'm taking it all the way back to the beginning of my reporting career. Um, I mentioned that I'm from Sacramento, California, proudly so. And before I was a reporter, I was a DJ. And I know we've got a couple of uh, former rock jocks in, in you know, Janice Dean and John Roberts was a former VJ. Um, but I was a former DJ from Sacramento. I worked. Uh, I was seven to midnight, Monday through Friday. KRXQ 93 Rock. I played Aerosmith Metallica ACDC. That was my jam. That's what I did for many, many years. Then one day as radio, <laughs> as, radio as radio stories go, a new program director comes in, cleans house. You know, you're you shown the door. And what I had remembered was, um, I'll try to keep this short, but my, my grandmother used to listen to a transistor radio. She had it on top of her dryer in her house. And she always had on this radio station, KFBK. And Tom Sullivan was there, who was with Fox for a while and, and still doing radio today on KFBK. And I used to listen to Tom and I thought, man, that's so cool what he does. And he's so relatable. And he's not, he's not talking at me. He's talking to me and with me. And I loved that. And I really wanted to be somehow involved in news radio. So I started, you know, I I got involved with the company as an intern, taking out the trash. You know, I went from being a, a major, you know, rock DJ, like on this big show, to I had to start all over again, go in and become... You know, somebody who I eventually got to run the board. I I used to answer the phones. I would do anything just to be in this newsroom. And the then news director (laughs) would not have anything. You know, he's like, I don't know what this rock person thinks they're going to do here in our newsroom. But you can, you know, answer the phones fine. So one day, 1997, the levees break in Sacramento, Sacramento known as the River City. And the great flood of 1997 happens. Our town goes underwater, engulfed in 30-feet walls of water in some places. Homes are going underwater. Businesses, cars, people are on roofs. They're, you know, all the things that you've seen through the years, right? So all of our, our team of reporters are dispatched everywhere. They're at the Office of Emergency Management. the mayor's office. They're at the hospital. And then the phones are ringing, and there's this one part of the story that nobody has time to get to, nobody thought of, and it's the wildlife. It's Sacramento, jokingly, is, at times is called a cow town, but my uncle is a cattle, was a cattle raiser, he uh, a cow farmer, and he had access to all of these areas, and they said, oh my gosh, all of these cows and horses are being stuck in the mud, in the water, we can't get them out. We're not talking about dozens, we're talking about hundreds And so I called Uncle John And I said What do you got Where can you take me He said get out here Off of 99 I'll take you out On a tractor He took And I I told my boss And he goes I'm out of people I guess Go ahead He didn't want me to go And I went out With a flip phone And a cassette player which I couldn't work and I just went live and the sound of the distressed cattle all around me while I was riding on a tractor in the middle of a muddy farm trying to get to these to watch these ranchers try and get the cattle out that is how my reporting career began and I came back covered in mud and we were talking you know I was talking to all these ranch hands who were trying to get and it was so you know you can hear the gnat sound right and I came back just absolutely freezing cold, covered in mud, and the news director, who would never give me a chance, looked at me and said, well, I guess you're a reporter now. And that's that's how it began. So the great flood of 1997 in Sacramento, California, that is my number five.
1: That is amazing. I love that. And I can only imagine, as you mentioned, the theater of the mind that radio is. Uh, I think that is an awesome story. I Worked in radio and talk radio in the 90s, and that's kind of the path how I ended up in this uh, uh, business as well. And so I think that is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh here. that, that might have right? been your number one, I know. Mara. I'm not sure.
2: <laughs> well, that's just kind of how it all began. And, and from there, you know, then I, I got different assignments and, you know, learned how to <laughs> use that
0: tape deck and, and off, off we went. So what's your number four?
1: The countdown
0: continues
1: after this.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it... <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Number four.
1: All right, so number four <clears throat> for me and playing uh, off of the uh, water theme, so to speak, um, My my category is hurricanes. And uh, as our listeners may have noticed, uh, I tend to like to cover those hurricanes being a surfer. Yes. Not from California, but uh, a surfer nonetheless. I, I'm very comfortable in the water. And you, Laura, covered a lot of hurricanes too. Yes. And I think that um, it, it's number four as this category. But if I had to sort of pick one, I mean, I've covered most uh, all of the big hurricanes that have happened here in the last... 20 years. I, my very first one was Katrina, and I was working for Fox News Radio. And uh, they, Mitch Davis sent me down there. I was like, go. And that was my first hurricane ever. And I remember after it was over thinking, I'm not sure I want to do that again. But uh, <laughs> if I had to pick one cover, one story that I covered, one hurricane, it would really be Hurricane Harvey. Hmm. Uh, Houston, the flooding, uh, and I was there for so long, and you know we really had never seen a water event so catastrophic like that. And we're told by experts that because of climate change, because of the way things are going, that these storms are getting worse. Uh, and I just remember, you know, the the ability to to tell the story not not just the the part where you and I and others stand and get whipped with the waves and try and stay safe as you know the cat four cat five wins Pound us, but also the compassion stories. And once there was such the catastrophic flooding in Houston, and we saw neighbors rescuing other neighbors and John boats. The go- the flooding was to the rooftops of houses. And going along with the technology we now have with live views to do live rescues, whether it be pets or actual humans, uh, was really some of the some of the most uh, impactful reporting I've done in my life,
2: Wow, that is incredible. I, I and I love that you made that a category, which was so smart. I should have done that. That's what that's how I could have gotten my other stories, Griff. See, we learn from each other. <laughs> I should have because <laughs> my my number four is the same. Hurricane Katrina. I could have included that in my in my flooding uh, category, which I should have. but Nonetheless, uh, great minds think alike. So Hurricane Katrina is my number four as well. Did we ever see each other while we were there?
1: You you know, I'm not sure we saw each other because uh, as the radio person, you know, uh, I finally worked ourselves so our listeners understand it was such a. Uh, devastating storm that Fox's entire team ended up kind of in a in a in a, uh, a camper van of sorts, and then in a little sort of uh, parking lot of a car dealership. If you remember that compound they built, yeah. but really, really? usually uh, typical hurricane coverage, you could get into some hotels and whatnot. And uh, it, it really just wrecked New Orleans in ways that had never been That's crashed. Right. And so for the first three nights, since I was the the uh, last minute fucks is radio guy that came in. I was living... Uh, by myself out of a rental pickup truck a ford f-150 was oh my, my home and then i finally got into the uh the compound that uh, the rest of the network had so i can't remember i just remember I, thinking because i'd never been in a hurricane that uh, this hurricane stuff was pretty darn tough
2: it, it really was and i you know to back up you know my my list is a little out of order so please forgive me um for jumping around in the timeline of of being here at Fox, but so I was hired. So I was doing radio. I did KFBK in Sacramento from that flood, went down to KFI in Los Angeles where I covered trials, which will be higher up in my list. And it was through my trial coverage in Los Angeles that Brought me to Fox. They, you know, I started becoming a guest, and then I was on more frequently, and then eventually I was hired. And so when I was hired at Fox News, Griff, I was hired in 2005, and I was hired to be the Dallas correspondent. So out of the Michael Jackson trial, I was hired to be uh, the Dallas correspondent in charge of all of the Southwest. So I'm in Los Angeles in August getting my training. And, you know, this is the computer system. This is how we do expenses. And my first day at Fox was August 29th, 2005, the day Hurricane Katrina hit. And I look up (laughs) and I'm still I'm still packing and my stuff is still in L.A. I've already picked out my apartment in Dallas. My stuff is going to go to Dallas. I look up at all the monitors in the newsroom and I said, Is that my, that's my region going underwater. I need to go. And they said, well, we've already got our folks there. You know, Keating was there, Raldo, Shep. A lot of people were already there. And so they said, but if you can find an angle, you know, this is all that's going to be on TV. So because I had been a reporter in Sacramento, I had connections with the California National Guard because I used to cover a lot of wildfires with them. And I called them up and they said, as a matter of fact, we've got a KC-135 cargo plane going in you know in twenty four hours and we'll give you a jump seat if you want to be an embed. Oh, of course. So off we went uh, with little notice and we went with the California National Guard on this plane. And where they went, we went, which is probably, now that I say that out loud, probably why I didn't see you, because I was with the California National Guard, so we didn't get the tour bus, Uh, but we were with, you know, we slept under the air wings of all these units we went to. We were out where where they slept, we slept. We went to the airport in New Orleans, and I slept on baggage claim number four, so if you're ever there, (laughs) that used to be where we were (laughs) positioned. Um, And so we went all over the place. We were there for 33 days. And wow. I think my first two weeks at Fox News, I didn't, you know, there was nowhere to take a shower. You know, we were, thank God for the baseball hat. And we went to a Gulfport, Mississippi, which was like being in a blender. We went to uh, the aftermath of that. We went to Daphne, Alabama. And so I was there with my team for 33 days. Um, and it was an incredible experience. That's
1: amazing. That's unbelievable. Welcome to the new job. I know, right?
2: <laughs> uh, um, and then and then my job changed. Um, I got a call from headquarters in New York saying they wanted to see me. And I thought, oh, man, I blew it. I mean, really, I have to go. I'm going, I'm being called back up to New York. And they had offered me, they said, we've been watching you. And we're going to put you on a broadcast show with Geraldo Rivera called Geraldo at Large. We're launching it in a few months. We want you to be one of the people. So, my life took a totally, I was like, but, but what about Dallas, my, my stuff? And they said, don't worry about it. You're never going to be home. <laughs> so anyway, that's hur- awesome. So Hurricane Katrina ended up being, I mean, and, and what, just what you said, I mean, the act of, of seeing so many people helping each other, being in a parking lot. We were in many, many Walmart parking lots or parking lots of big box stores where people would just stand there and they had a plastic bag of All they had left in the world looking for any medication or a way to call their family members or where do we go next what do we do how do we get there can you help and you know that's one of the things that we can do is bring those stories to light help connect people Um, and it was an incredibly rewarding Um, devastating experience, but one that we all shared collectively as the country, watching it and helping out as much as we could. So there's my number four.
1: That's amazing. So playing off of your life sort of turning moments, I'll go to my number three. Number three. Uh, My number three was the invasion of Iraq in 2003. Ali North, was not one of the original reporters signed to cover uh, the Iraq uh, invasion because he wasn't a reporter. He's obviously a retired Marine. Right. And he was adamant that he'd go, and Roger Ailes ultimately decided to send him. And uh, I was the associate producer for War Stories documentary. I wasn't in the military, had never been over there. And this new sort of embed system was the brainchild of then the uh, pentagon press secretary tori clark because she said let's send two-man teams embedded with individual units and it will revolutionize how the media covers wars and the end result was it definitely did and it really uh I think worked out better than the Pentagon even thought in terms of the stories that were told of heroism and and particularly when you had local media embedded with hometown units. But it was life-changing for me, Laura, because uh, I was in New York with Colonel North when he was uh, pressing uh, the powers that be to go to Iraq in February of 2003. Of course, the the war broke out in March 2003. And they decided they weren't going to send Ollie because they didn't have a cameraman uh, with combat experience that could get him up and on the air. And Ollie said, no problem, because Griff can send me. And they were like, what? <laughs> you think you can go? And so I said, you bet. And Shari Berg, who I will forever be grateful, was like, if you want to try, we'll give you a shot. And so they loaded me up with the video phone camera, all this other stuff. And 24 hours later, I boarded a plane by myself for Kuwait, got up to speed with the Fox crews, And then when the invasion started uh, uh, on day one, we we're up with Ollie North and a gunfight with Marines embedded with HMM 268. Interestingly enough, I can relate to the, uh, 30 something days, my, my nickname in Ali North's book about the Iraq war was mailbag because we had been separated from our gear and our, our backpack and and clothes and stuff. And so I had no change of clothes, no sleeping bag, nothing for gosh, some 30, 35 days. Really. I never saw it again. we were there for four days, four months, but, uh, you know, telling that story and going from uh, never even thinking I was going to be uh, uh, in a situation like that to being in the tip of the spear, making it all the way into Baghdad. With The day we took Baghdad, I was there with Ali all the way into Kret. And I went back again uh, in November of 2003. I went back in 2004, 2005, uh, or, or 2004, 2006, and then again in 2016 with Ali uh, in Mosul when they were fighting uh, ISIS for Mosul. And so that had a great impact on my life and really was one of the coolest assignments I ever had because obviously I got the opportunity to document the heroism of our young men and women uh, fighting overseas for our freedom. And and that is just uh, something that is hard to verbalize really what it's like, the sacrifice they're making, their bravery, their courage, and, and of course, uh, being able to bring it uh, to our viewers uh, and listeners is, is uh, remarkable.
2: And in such an incredible way. And it, that is just so incredible. I'm so happy that Shari let you do that assignment uh, because I remember watching all of this. Uh, unfold, And, you know, people uh, and I know that people realize, I mean, people sometimes will say, gosh, you don't realize what it takes to get something on TV. And I think more people now do right with social media. And we, we I love to show behind the scenes um, and with some of the stories that we cover, people say, wow, you know, you you're setting up the camera or just even how you had to get that gear and how we had to get the gear into Katrina, for that matter, is is really incredible. And just having the resolve to not only tell these stories, to humanize. Uh, some of the situations that you're in and being able to bring that is such a gift and a talent and I'm so proud to know you, Griff. I really am. I mean, that's that's really incredible what you've done. (laughs)
1: Well, that's my three. What's your number three?
2: All right. My number three. So, all of my stuff is super serious, right? And I do a lot of crime, which is my, which is my wheelhouse. Um, so, and I'm, you know, I, it was really, really hard to pick number three because what I wanted to do was talk about either the Connecticut home invasion case, which was brutal, the Jennifer Dulos case, which was recent, she's still missing. I interviewed the, the husband, um, you know, the Long Island serial killer, which I just did a uh, series on for Fox Nation. But I'm gonna have some fun for a second and my number 3 <laughs> is going on tour for Fox News with Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden. I remember this. Yes. I was hoping
1: you would include this.
2: Really? <laughs> I I was like yes. I just I have to because you know what it really was and has been a highlight of mine and I am again, a, you know, a former rock DJ, a, a totally hard rock my whole life. Played it, lived it, loved it. And when I came across what was happening with Iron Maiden in 2008, um, everybody, if, if you're an Iron Maiden fan, you know that they tour the world. They have a ridiculous fan base that is, you know, coliseums and hundreds of thousands of people that can show up at a time. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. These guys really don't have a ton of airplay through their career, but. They have this incredible fan base. And so Bruce Dickinson, the lead singer of Iron Maiden, this British heavy metal band, is extremely intelligent. He has like a resume you wouldn't believe. He's also an airline pilot. And he was an airline pilot um, in the UK and had this idea of taking a Boeing 757 and converting it because they weren't able to get to all the countries they wanted to get as fast as they wanted to tour, and they were having to leave some countries off which off their tour, which they didn't want to do. So what they did was they converted this plane, and, and Bruce Dickinson says, I've got this idea. We will take this. We'll, we'll call it Ed Force One. <laughs> Ed is, of course, you know, Eddie is their <laughs> mascot, this big, you know, mummy mascot. They called it Ed Force One. And by doing this, they they put the band in first class. They put the crew in coach. And then they gutted the back so that they could bring all of their equipment. Bruce says, I'll fly the plane. And I'll get us around the country in and out because I know how to do this. Uh, And we'll do almost like this European-style itinerary but on an intercontinental basis um, and it got approved and they off, they went and much to my delight um, I was approved. I, you know, I went into the bosses and asked for the okay to do this story. And they said, you know what? This is actually really cool. And what's uh, what a side note um, back in the old days, uh, we had the war room down in the newsroom where the, you know, the editorial happened every day and our then, vp went around the table and he said laura Ingle has pitched this story and you know it was during a highly political time and i was like oh my gosh i don't know if this is going to get approved he said can anybody here at this table name an iron maiden song and you know what everybody did <laughs> Which proved the power of Iron Maiden, and so off we went. We actually we went down. We went from uh, New Jersey uh, to Puerto Rico and spent some time down there, and then came back. So it was a it was a short leg. We actually ended up in the documentary Flight Six Six Six, and we ended up in the book. And I went down there with uh, John Casala, who we know as Hollywood, and Ian Rafferty, and it was one of the best assignments of my life. And we got to show what goes, what was involved in this airplane, uh, what it was like being on tour, going backstage. The generator died. The show almost didn't go on. And we were up on the stage showing, you know, our audience what it takes to put on this type of show and to put this type of show on the road and in the air. Um, So the Iron Maiden 2008 Somewhere Back in Time World Tour uh, ride along, if you will, (laughs) fly along was uh, one of the highlights for me. Number three.
1: Look, that is the greatest assignment ever. As a kid born in Memphis, Tennessee in 1970, it is every kid my generation's dream to be a heavy metal star, let alone a DJ or somebody that gets to cover it. And that kind of access Never happens. It doesn't. Uh, You know, you get lucky if you get backstage to get a glimpse of some star, let alone fly around on flight 666. And uh, I think, you know, it is so important. And I'm glad you chose that as one of your top five because, you know, the news is usually not good. And that's why right. it's the news. But there are stories that are so uh, amazing. And, and you get to see and hear and learn what cool stuff that really people care about, uh, that's one of them. And so my hat's off to you. And the jealousy remains.
2: (laughs) Well, you know (laughs) what? And you know what's really funny? Of all people, and you learn who the Iron Maiden fans are, who the Hard Rock fans are. You know who is, you probably know this being in D.C. Do you know who the biggest Iron Maiden fan in our company is, aside from me?
1: I give up. I don't know.
2: Chad. Chad Fergum. When he... Uh
1: that does not surprise me. Our great political (laughs) correspondent, Kevin Hill correspondent, Chad Pergram, no surprise there. (laughs) When I
2: did this story, he called me immediately. We talked about it. He named every song, every album, every tour, every show. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And he's like, the next time they come, can I come with you? I said, absolutely. And every time Maiden comes to town, I have tried to, we've tried to coordinate it. It hasn't happened. But Chad, you're on my guest list. You are my VIP because I get to go every time that they come now. And it is unbelievable. So, I mean, that, and that's the thing, the, those are the things that you learn as you go along the way. So, um, you know, look out for that picture someday on Instagram and Twitter. Chad and I, like in the pit at Iron Maiden. <laughs> <laughs> hats off rock on it's going to happen all right number 2 griff the countdown
1: continues after this number 2
2: we're getting down there number 2
1: um i think really my number 2 is what i have most been associated with and that is the border And the story that I've covered of the Mexican caravans just back a few weeks ago from being in the Mexican caravan a month ago, I went all the way down to the Panamanian jungle in the Darien Gap between Colombia and Panama. Uh, And this is after, if you'll remember, Laura, two years ago, I went and covered uh, the the caravan that started in San Pedro Sula, Honduras, went all the way through Honduras, all the way through Guatemala, all the way through Mexico to Eagle Pass, Texas. And it took us, I think, 20 days to get there. But uh, the story has been one of those ones Where when I started up again in March covering the border and I went down and covered the the Texas side. They went into Matamoros and then I went to El Paso and then I went into Juarez. Then I was out in uh, uh, Tijuana. Nobody was covering it. No other network. Now, every network is covering it. Everybody's covering it because it is such a complex situation for the human aspect of it, which is the desperation of so many people, particularly Central American in that Honduras El Salvador, Guatemala, Northern Triangle, where poverty and gangs uh, uh, just made life untenable in their countries, but also people from all over the world now coming to our border and the shift between when I covered it two years ago to now, where you have... Uh, these unprecedented numbers and it's really I think the Biden administration uh, underestimated how impactful uh, the border situation would become uh, and how much I think they uh, didn't expect it to get as out of control as it is now Uh, in the month of, of October that we just got their recent numbers. It's the highest October ever after the most uh, illegal crossings ever last fiscal year, which fiscal years run October to October. And so this is a story that's fresh. Obviously, our listeners have have seen me down there covering the caravans and covering the border, but I think it's one that is really going to be a historical uh, story, if you will, uh, in the sense that uh, it's not – a new story per se our border. It was the case under president Obama under president George W. Bush. And even before that, uh, but the, but the, the opinions of border and of sovereignty and of the border patrol and enforcement has changed so much in such little time that I think we're, uh, uh, on, on a completely new footing with that, and so it's been, it's it's been difficult to cover. Uh, it's been hard. You're you're really falling care of it. You don't know where you're going to stay. You don't have to get a signal, um, uh, and you're going through some dangerous places. But uh, it's been an important one, and, and to be honest, I kind of look forward to getting back to cover it again, which I suspect will be coming in in the coming weeks and months.
2: Right. I know that there's a rotation, but, uh, you know, you are you have been such a force down there. I mean, Griff, I've seen you do live shots like in the bushes at the water. Like, how do you do that? (laughs) I mean, are (laughs) you aren't you ever worried about, you know, what you may encounter? And, And I'm talking about just anybody that could be down there. You know, are you worried when you're doing this at night? Not to sound like No, you know.
1: try not to be worried. And, uh, you know, I was doing uh, live shots uh, floating on a raft uh, uh, last month between uh, the river, uh, yeah. Sujate River between Mexico and Guatemala doing a live shot. We could get a good signal. And all I could think of Laura is a surfer is if I fall in, I will never live this down yeah. with my surfer friends <laughs> ever. And so I was much, much less worried about the dangers mm-hmm. of the border than embarrassing myself for which I would never uh, uh, stop be giving grief. So, you know, you do what you can. Uh, it's a little bit like the riots. We talked earlier about making sure yeah. everybody's safe and making sure uh, as best you can, everybody is in a secure environment but you know when you follow this story you don't know where you're gonna end up and uh it certainly took us some interesting places last month when we went into the Darien Gap the densest most dangerous jungle uh on the planet where people are robbed and often raped every day trying to make it through there we had to get uh, permission from an indigenous Indian chief to take a canoe ride five hours into the jungle because there are no roads Wow. Um, and, you know, uh, you certainly take off on these things uh, on the one hand, uh, perhaps uh, driven by by the sense of adventure, but also you're mindful of the real dangers you will be putting yourself into. And you just always have to make a conscious, sober uh, uh, calculation that, that, that you're going to be safe.
2: Right. And um, you mentioned you don't know where you're going to sleep. Where do you guys sleep? Are you are you pitching tents? Are you I mean, there's not like a holiday inn.
1: No, you find little hotels, little places here and there. Sometimes you're just sleeping in the crew van um, and that's that's all you can do.
2: Right. Well, thank you for what you do and what you help to bring to our air and to inform the viewers. And it can't be said enough. I mean, what we're seeing is so, so incredible. And to have the ability to tell it the way that our entire team has been able to do so um, is really, really something and something that needs to be paid attention to no matter where you stand. Um, You've got to be paying attention to what's going on. And thank you for doing the work that you've done because it is really, really something. So, you know what we should do, Griff? We should... Somehow, and not that either of us have a lot of time to do this, and I always find that I want more time to do this than I have, is like make highlight reels of some of the things that we're talking about right now. I'm going to try and do that on my Instagram story. (laughs) It's a great idea. You know what I mean? Like, because like there's so much stuff that you can't get. Number two, which we have yet to know what that is. So my number two uh, includes screaming fans, signs. Costumes, bullhorns, ambulances, movie stars, dancers, the releasing of doves and pajamas. And guess those are all the ingredients of something awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, depending on who you, you talk to, um, it is actually the people versus Michael Jackson. It is the yeah. number two on my list uh, just because it was such a incredible... It was the second big trial that I covered. Um, I was actually still with KFI, the radio station in Los Angeles, while working also with Fox News, um, being a contributor. And I was on the air every day, uh, both with, with Shep and with Greta and all the folks that uh, during that time back in 2005. Um, and this was, as you probably can imagine, look, I mean, the subject matter was tough to talk about on the air and it still is today but the the theatrics of what this trial eventually became um, we were in Santa Maria uh, just outside of Santa Barbara and it was the 2005 criminal trial uh, that lasted a very long time Um, and of course we all know about the accusations against Michael Jackson he had been previously accused of child abuse uh, in 1993 and then he finally went to trial uh, and was acquitted <laughs> back on June 13th of 2005 and we were shuttling back and forth between Neverland Ranch um, and to the courthouse and some days he would be late and then they were there would be like did he run away did he get get, did he go somewhere and then one day he showed up in his pajamas because the judge said you have to show up Um, and there were always tons of fans outside they had to actually create a fence and people were climbing the fences every day just to get a glimpse of him getting out of his limo or not his limo but his town car with his family and Janet Jackson was there and the, and the, the whole family would come and he came dressed to the nines every day. I fact, I, I sat in back of him most days of that trial. And um, I remember Shep once asked me, he's like, well, what's he like? You know, he doesn't talk um, when he comes in. Um, and I remember saying once on air, because I just didn't know what to say, but the truth, I said, well, he smells good. He goes, what? This is on TV. Uh, and I said, well, I because he's like, he I don't know, he's showered every day. He puts on some kind of cologne and he wafts by and, you know, he sits down and I don't know. That, it's like, you know, when you're asking a radio reporter what uh, something is like, that's that's what happens. But uh, nonetheless, we covered it from gavel to gavel. It was uh, it was a Life changing event for me because that is the trial that I was offered the job. Um, I was on TV so much uh, covering this. Uh, I was eventually offered the the full time job at Fox, and so. Um, but but when you go and you live these stories, and I, that goes to my number one as well. But I literally. Got an apartment in Santa Maria. I lived there uh, because commuting back and forth to L.A. was too difficult with the traffic. And so uh, KFI ended up renting me an apartment. And so I lived there. And I was there every single day and I was there on the weekends when everybody went home uh, to see what was, you know, we would talk to people and the people that were in this town and people think of Santa Barbara and, and it's beautiful and it's a gorgeous country. But Santa Maria is more of a working town of a farming town. Um, so they'd never seen the likes of anything like this uh, before this trial. But it was uh, an incredible experience being in that courtroom every day and just really being, I mean, truly at the circus. That's what this was like. So that's my number two.
1: Well, it was, uh, you did an amazing job. I remember your coverage and with Greta particularly. And, you know, uh, I remember watching, uh, this is really uh, dating myself the older I get at 50. My memory fades. But I remember specifically something you were doing, showing us the crowd outside the courthouse. And I was so captivated by the environment. And of course now, you know, with the moniker, the trial of the century, It really, I don't think, has ever been replicated uh, sense to, to quite the intensity that, that you had outside the courtroom, right. let alone inside.
2: Right. I mean, it was, I mean, I have, and gosh, I've got Griff, I've got, and I'm telling you, I will put it on my Instagram t- at Laura Ingle TV. I'm going to make a reel of some of these stories because the the photos that we took, and this is before iPhones, right? So, but the, the people standing, there was their sign. People were crying. They were weeping openly. They were, you know, spilling over the fence, draping themselves over each other openly crying for Michael Jackson and you know I remember the day of the verdict somebody brought doves and they were releasing doves in the air I mean it was just it was it was crazy. It was crazy. It really was. And, uh, you know, to go through that entire trial um, and then to have the verdict, I think the verdict shocked a lot of people. Those of us that sat through every minute of testimony, it was like, wow, really? Okay. And, you know, you go out and you report it and you and you move on. But uh, uh, definitely... Look, you're at a trial right now where there is, you know, a, this element of, you know, frustration and and anger, and there's a lot going on. And these trials are very important to cover. I hope that there is more transparency in the courtroom as we move forward covering these trials, for sure.
1: Indeed, indeed. Well, that yeah, was, that no. was uh, once in a lifetime, I
2: think, that trial. Right. All right. What's your number one, Griff?
1: Number. 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 Number one. Number one. All right, here we go. This has been so much fun, by the way, talking to you, Laura. I hate it that we're finally at the end, but if we must, the number one for me is, and I've covered and uh, been a part of the coverage of uh, several presidential elections going all the way back to 2000 was really the first one that, uh, that I was actively uh, uh, part of the coverage and the conventions uh, and, and uh, uh, the, you know all that comes with campaign trail but for me the election of Donald Trump 2016 all the way from election day to uh, the the attack on the Capitol on January 6th really is the story that I think and I mentioned you know maybe one day I'll have grandkids I'll talk the most about because To have been on the campaign trail uh, nonstop and watching, you know, Donald Trump get elected out of really Americans' frustrations with the status quo of both parties in Washington, which is, I think, what really, you know, here comes this uh, no-nonsense guy, not afraid of what he says, willing to take a sledgehammer to Washington to change the status quo, really captured a lot of people, all the way to the end of it, to being the reporter on january 6th on the dais i was the morning reporter all morning long and then marched down the street and got caught up uh in coverage where uh people were openly uh verbally assaulting me on the air trying to talk to bill hemmer is there going after us uh three clips of which i had three actual live shots that ended up Laura being exhibits, actual exhibits in the impeachment trial of Donald Trump that the Democrat impeachment managers used to demonstrate what was happening there that day. And I just think of the political tidal wave that swept the country and of whose sort of lasting uh, legacy really is yet to be written in the history books to have been such a part of it. I think the farther we get removed from it in the years uh, in decades to come, we will look back uh, and, 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 uh, and, and scrutinize and, and really debate and, and discuss uh, the, the presidency from, from day one of its candidacy coming down the escalator in Manhattan to uh, the attack on the Capitol on January 6th.
2: Wow, that is incredible. I can't I didn't know that about those clips being used. Uh, a testament to what you've been through for sure, uh, and what you've covered and what you've seen and experienced. My goodness. yeah, we covered I covered the uh, the election night of uh, when Donald Trump won um, for radio. I was doing Fox News radio, and uh, you know, we I think we can all remember that night. Um, And I remember walking out on the streets of New York. It was so late. It was, I think, two in the morning by the time some of us left, two or three. And the streets were filled um, with people from both sides. And it was just uh, an electric night and time for sure. Um, And again, I'm I'm glad you're safe after everything you've been through.
1: (laughs) It it was an electric night, by the way. I was on protest duty like I am here now in Kenosha that night in Manhattan outside of that Hilton just up from right. Fox and all I was so cold. All I could think of is please somebody win. <laughs> Let this just be over. I was so cold, but yeah. anyway, that's my number one. Now drum roll, please. Laura Ingalls. Number
2: one is the Scott Peterson trial. Scott oh, Peterson. Right. It's I do remember that one. It's, it's another trial, but it is a, another defining moment in just the the stories that I've covered and, you know, I really went back and forth about what was going to be the number one because I have done some other big cases. I have covered, you know, wildfires, uh, presidential elections, uh, being in Washington, D.C. for a, a few of my stories that I've done. But but the Scott Peterson trial was really, you know, a lot of people say that that was in our time, that that time frame, that was our O.J., so to speak. Um, it really was um, one of the biggest moments, criminal history moments that we have all experienced. It was in 2000, uh, well, in 2004. uh, He was convicted of the first degree murder of his pregnant wife Lacey Peterson, who everyone will remember went missing on Christmas Eve at nearly eight months pregnant. Um, There was the search for her. There was the desperate and this is right outside of my hometown of Sacramento. This all happened in Modesto. Um, So I was involved at a very early stage of this story, working at KFI and pitching myself to go up to Modesto and sit outside of the house um, where the search had started, and where nobody knew where she was, and that there was just it was Christmas. And then, eventually, of course, the affair with Amber Fry was revealed, and we found out that he was living this double life, and he was leaving Lacey Peterson alone at a Christmas party in a beautiful red jumpsuit, smiling, thinking that her husband was off at work, while really he was in a different town, miles away, at another Christmas party with Amber Fry, wearing a Santa hat in front of a tree. Pretending he was a single guy. So he is convicted of the murders and then sentenced to death, which I also covered. And again, that's and that's kind of where the Michael Jackson thing happened. I moved to Redwood City. I moved to Redwood City. I got an apartment across the street from jail in San Mateo San Mateo County Jail and I it was a really it was not the nicest apartment grip. it was furnished with a bed and a a bad couch and that was it and I had two suitcases (laughs) And, and so I lived the story I lived there I went to every single court date and what happened was <clears throat> I wasn't a national correspondent yet and I wasn't local and local and national got priority to be in the courtroom. So I had to go every morning and do the public lottery, which I actually just found. I'll text it to you and I'll, I'll put it on my page. But I, I just found my, one of my lottery tickets and you got to pass every day uh, as a member of the public. So I got to go in and then I would do, you know, these stories. And actually, that is where kind of and, and just to sidetrack, when Scott Peterson was first arraigned. Remember, he was caught down by the border. He was in San Diego. His hair was bleached blonde. He had a bunch of money and zip ties and tent gear and all the stuff in his car. It looked like he was going to make a run for it. And I was in this dirt. Right. I was in this dirt parking lot across the street from the courthouse where he was being arraigned in the red jail jumpsuit. And I'm in a van that KFI had made for me. We had brought down a, we brought up a mixing board, headphones, gear, and I was in the back of this van by myself, you know, being on the radio, doing talk shows. I was a guest and I'm doing all this stuff and I look up and I can feel that somebody is staring at me. I'm like, who's staring at me? And I look up and it's this woman and she's like, what are you doing? And I said, I'm, I'm, I'm busy. I'm broadcasting. What, what's going on? And she's like, well, I want you on my show. It was Greta. And that is how the whole thing, yeah, that was how the whole thing began. She was like, I want, you know, you've been in the courtroom. I want to talk to you. And so I remember sitting um, on a director's chair with a post-it note, which is all I could manage to, in my rush to get over there. I was thinking, oh my God, what am I going to say? Let me get a little post-it note. And I remember going over there and uh, and then they said, okay, so tomorrow, same time? It's like, wow, okay. And so I started doing that. So anyway, that was a big part of my career. But just the story itself was something that touched me personally. My best friend at the time uh, looked like her. She was also pregnant. The idea that a missing pregnant woman on Christmas, uh, that this could be unfolding near my hometown, it touched I wanted to know what happened. I wanted to be uh, there for every part of the story. That was an amazing number one. Thank you very much, Greg. Well, I I loved your list as well. I, I I don't know. Can we do like five through ten the next time we're gonna have to like come up with? I, I mean, say, I mean, think that's hard. a great idea, and I think you
1: have a great idea too to post pictures or clips of these stories on social media. You know, we get so busy with our lives we forget yeah. that uh, sometimes somebody might want to see some of these things. So yeah, that was great. It's been great uh uh being with you otherwise i'll sign off unless you have some final thoughts laura
2: well i am uh you know i'm keeping my fingers crossed for a safe news coverage for you for where you are now um and we hope you know we're all looking forward to seeing the end of that as always griff terrific coverage on everything you do i watch you on the weekends i love watching you at the anchor desk as well you do radio you're out in the field you're in danger you do it all and you also surf, so you're pretty cool in my book.
1: <laughs> Listen, I'm just learning it from the best, like a little gal named Laura from Sacramento, California. It has been great uh, doing this list with you, as you and I have covered so many of the same stories and been in the same places. With great thanks, Laura, thank you, and thank you to everyone for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at Fox News Podcast. That's foxnewspodcast.com. Let us know what your top five stories are that Laura and I covered to get your feedback. Laura, have a
2: great rest of your day. Thank you so much, Griff. And we just want to remind you, you've been listening to Fox Top 5 on the Fox News Podcast Network. We'll see you on TV.